on today's podcast. You know, we can all buy stuff online. And uh, I mean, that's why I have a website. Uh, we're online. But uh, when people when people place an order online with us, we can add a personal touch to that. I mean, anybody that builds a website and expects people to, to show up, uh, good luck. I mean, it, it still is personal contact and personal uh, guarantees that make it happen. So, uh, and that's what I enjoy about uh, craft brewery business too. When you talk to these people online, when you're talking to people that make a difference, uh, uh, their word is their bond. And if, if something's messed up, they're going to call you and they're going to say, hey, these are wrong. And we may have to make it right as soon yeah. as possible. So it's, it's a great relationship in that way. Hello and welcome to the Craft Beer Marketing Institute. Today we are talking about the sales funnel and what it means for your brewery. And we have a great discussion with kegtag.com and Independent Brewing Company about the relationship between vendors and brewers. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we are going to talk about the sales funnel. It's an important tool for your brewery or any business that helps you organize your thoughts and the decisions you make based on where in the sales process you are with different customers. This is something every business has where they have defined it or not. In most cases, it's not thought out and organized, and it's a muddy, patched together process of maybe cold calls or emails, spreadsheets with leads on them, missed follow-ups and meetings. Um, maybe it's a little bit more organized than that, but that's sort of the baseline. Um, but acknowledging that this sales funnel exists, organizing it for your business, and making adjustments based on what on what you find can really help you be more productive with your sales and reach new customers. Um, so why don't we just start off with defining the sales funnel. Um, so the definition I have for it is, um, you know, this is a basic definition, but it's an upside down pyramid that represents the journey potential customers go through to become customers. Funnels are they're widest at the top and they, they narrow down as a potential customer gets closer to the sale. Do you have anything to add to that, Josh? No, I think that's that's accurate, and it's good to keep in mind that for a brewery, this you're going to have your customer, um, your customer funnel where people are interacting with your actual products. But then on the other side, you're also going to be interacting with distributors and other vendors that you might want to be uh, getting in front of to to help you with your brand. So you right. can actually have multiple funnels and. Don't try to lump everybody into one, um, but it's important to have these systems set up in place so that anybody you're interacting with can fit into some pipeline that you're able to guide them along. Yeah, and there, there is sort of a basic guideline for these funnels, but what works for one business isn't going to work for every business and for your brewery. And your brewery could copy the exact same things as a brewery down the street is doing, and you won't see the same results. And so defining what happens in each stage of the sales funnel will help you figure out how your brewery is unique and how your customers are unique to your brewery as you go along. Right. And without, without a funnel, as you mentioned, Brent, it's going to be this. Some things are effective, but you don't really know. And, and it's, it's this muddiness of not being able to say, this person was interacting on this platform with this content, and they were supposed to go here, but they didn't. And knowing exactly what every customer experiences along the way gives you that consistency so you're not saying, oh, well, this person did this instead of that and, and that wasn't effective, but then we changed this thing and then that didn't work. 
So it's just being a little bit more organized and intentional about everything that you're putting out there. Yeah, and um, you know, we'll get into the, we're about to get into the stages of the funnel, but um, like you said, defining what your customers are doing in each part of your sales funnel will help you focus your marketing efforts and sales efforts. And once you define what your customers are doing in each of those stages, then you can define as a business how to help them move through the funnel um, until you make that sale. And doing this process will help you find gaps in your funnel as you refine, as you refine it, because you'll see that there's leaks and there's you know none of these common leaks that you can find through many um, sales funnels. And um, you know a couple of them are throwing away people who say no too quickly lack of a consistent follow-up or not following up quick enough or some common ones. And that might be a little bit different for a brewery than someone who's, you know, selling a product online or, you know, depending on what the business is. But it's really just sort of engage, it's another form of engaging with your customer and organizing their process through that. So um, let's, uh, let's go through each of the main stages of the sales funnel and talk about what your customer might be doing at each of these stages. We'll list some examples, but I encourage you to list out all the activities that your customers might be doing in each of these stages that are unique to your own brewery, and the more detailed you are, the better. Right, and it might be helpful to even set up a spreadsheet when you're thinking about this and kind of doing an audit of your content, your digital assets, to really understand, okay, well, we're talking about this stage, and I have this thing, let's put that in there. And you might find that one of these stages, you have nothing, or maybe you have five things for one of them. and yeah and none for others. And one last thing to keep in mind about these stages is that when we're talking about digital platforms, it's no longer this directly linear funnel where you're guiding them down this funnel to the bottom uh, where you know, they're making a purchase. It actually jumps around a lot in the digital platform because you might make a purchase and then go back and subscribe to a YouTube channel and watch videos and then also be interacting on social media. So it's no longer this, well, I go into, I see a commercial, I make a phone call, I go into a store and I buy it. It's, it's a lot more, uh, not, not to say chaotic, but it's, it's all over the place, but it's the way that you guide them through that process. Yeah, I mean, just think about how much research you do yourself when you are going to make a, a, a purchase. It might be a little bit different for beer because beer is sort of like an in-the-moment thing sometimes. But you know, just uh, really anything, whether you're going to be going to an event or um, at your brewery, then it's you know there may be just things I think about. Like when I'm looking online, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to that, and then you know something else might come up, and then I'll come back in and like see them something on social media, and that will you know uh, spark my interest again, and. That's, the digital world can be pretty chaotic like that, especially with all the channels that are out there. So this is, that's, that's definitely an important thing to take into consideration. Well, do you want to take us through the stages, Josh, and then I can just chime in with anything? Yeah, yeah, so, the, so we have seven stages, and I'll list them all out, and then we'll go into each one. But um, starting at the top, awareness, interest, involvement, commitment, loyalty, advocacy and then champion and so at the top is the awareness and this is basically just getting your brand in front of people and this is typically banner ads emails check-ins on different platforms it could be um, what what you want the people to be doing is emailing opening an email and clicking on things 
or making a check-in somewhere. So this is, if you're not getting a lot of people to come to your site or they're not interacting with you, then you probably have an issue in this awareness stage where people just don't know that you exist. Yeah, and uh, I know we're talking about digital here, but just some of the offline things that might actually influence someone to look at, influence a customer to look at you, your digital space is that they may see your beer on tap at a bar, or uh, they may learn about an event you are having from one of their friends, um, or maybe they're in the in the liquor store and they see your beer next to one of their favorites. So all of those can kind of influence them later on to you know as once they become aware to look into you more. Definitely, and especially in the early stages and with local marketing campaigns, being in person and being out there in events and making connections with people are going to cover so many of these, and it's actually one of the best ways to guide that sales funnel in the very early stages and as a supplement to the digital side. So definitely be getting out there as much as you can. So after the awareness stage, is interest which is fostering this interaction with people and of course social media is the biggest part of this but this is where people are liking uh, liking your content tweeting and uh, making comments so if you have people if you're getting in front of people but then don't have a way for them to interact with you then you're going to have a problem getting people to actually follow you later after that initial interaction and so you might have a lot of clicks on a campaign, but then it, it never goes anywhere and you're never really interacting with them. Yeah, and I, I think this is where the content starts to come into play because it, then you, um, it gives them a point of interest to kind of look into your brewery. Um, whereas if you don't have anything out there and there's nothing for them to read or look at or engage with you with, then, um, then you're not going to be as successful once they get to that point. Right. And so that comes into the involvement stage. So we've had awareness, I see an ad or I see you somewhere and I click on it, I interact with you on social, and then maybe you've put something on there like, here's this great blog post about our brewing process. And so now I'm in the involvement stage where you've encouraged inquiry and you've gotten me to look at your YouTube channel or look at a newsletter article or read a blog. So I'm, I'm engaging with your content and what you're trying to do at this point is have me look at that content and then subscribe or sign up or take some action that will lead me <clears throat> lead me towards the next stage of of commitment yeah and we i think this is where we see where a lot of people drop off or a lot of businesses drop off because they don't actually have that call to action or that that way to move them from and into that next stage um, and so they'll have like maybe have some great content out there, but there's nothing that really is pushing the customer to move on. Exactly. And so that would be an issue where you don't have a lot in that involvement stage. And I would imagine that for new breweries, this is one area where you want to be really looking hard at it because I, I know that if, if you don't have a blog or you don't have some type of content strategy, then this is going to be a severely lacking area and it's going to be a big hinder to getting people to really understand your brand. And so the next stage is commitment. And this is where we've generated a conversion, which could be somebody signing up. It could be them buying your product. It could be somebody attending one of your events. And so in a traditional sales funnel, this is the end goal. It's somebody 
converted, they've made a purchase, or they've joined that event or whatnot. But in the digital space, it's really the middle step as there are three more steps after this. And so the next step, of course, is after they've made that purchase or interacted with that event is loyalty. And this is where it, it comes down to a customer service standpoint. But if your customers have questions or concerns or they're somehow after the purchase interacting with you, you really want to just wow them with that experience and go over the top, especially in the early stages. If, if they've made a request or something was wrong with they bought a bad batch or something or there's some PR issue, go over the, top, over the top and really make them overly happy because this is where you can get them into the next stage. And so without jumping into the next stage, just be thinking about how can you serve your customers. And it's something called social customer relationship management, but it's really just making them as happy as possible after that purchase. Yeah, and I think, I mean, it's really, sometimes the small things can really go a long way, like just even on, I mean, social media makes it really easy these days to kind of monitor your brand online. And if you see someone talking about your brand just uh, and saying, that, oh, I love this beer that I tried, you know, by your, by your brewery, then just even saying something to them really quick, like, oh, thanks, we have this new other beer coming out soon or something like that really goes a long way. I get excited when brands do that. Definitely, and, and when you get excited and you see them doing that, it pushes you to the advocacy, advocacy stage, which is where you're rewarding that, that good service and they're rewarding your loyalty. And this is where people are sharing that content, they're completing surveys, they're giving good reviews, and this is, in a way, a thank you to the, the company, the brewery, for being a good brand and, and just letting other people know that you like them and, and they treated you well. And this gets a lot into social validation and social proof because as, as customers, when we make a purchase, we want to know that we made that right purchase. And so that's when we have other friends who are saying, hey, try this beer, it's really good. And you want other people to say, this is really good, I'm totally going to buy this next time. You made the right decision as a consumer. And so we're always looking for that validation uh, from our, our peers. And that's why when we make a decision, it's important for a brewery to fulfill that expectation we have. But then it, as the business of brewing, it's important for us to ask for them to say, oh, well, how did you like us? What did you think about it? And if you did like us, please review us on the site. And you can use software like reputation management systems that, that kind of automate that and facilitate that, that process to, to put that out there. Yeah, and I think um, it's important to remember that with all of this that, um, you know, you're, you can have like really great tasting beer and it is very much about having a quality product. But there are a lot of customers in the beer industry who um, they respond to the identity of your beer. And so that's really where this com comes into play a little bit more is um, if they are interacting with your brand and are interacting with the identity of being a fan of your beer, then you're going to be able to uh, turn them into a loyal customer and have people coming back in just by having good customer support and educating them a lot. Right. And, and so that leads us to the last stage. So we've gone through the other six where we've seen an ad, we clicked on it, we liked a tweet, we clicked on some posts that 
led us to read an article and then we bought the beer and then we reached out and said, hey, I really like this. What type of hops do you use in it? And then they really interacted with us and sent us some really cool uh, a t-shirt or something. And we reviewed them. We said they're great. And that leads to a, the final stage, which is champion. And this is a super fan. And they're hard to to come by. It's There's not a lot of people that become super fans. Um, but if you do a great job, you'll get them over time. And these are people that are generating content for you or really mobilizing their own network around your brand. And so these are the people that when they see that you have an event coming up, they're getting all of their fans and friends to come to that event. And they're always buying your beer and they have all of your branded stuff just because they really love you as a brand. And they're almost becoming these um, advocates of your business for you. Right, exactly. And. So a lot of this, as I mentioned, it's it's not a linear process because you can have a champion that is also interacting with your content, of course. You could have somebody that is a loyal customer that is still clicking on emails. It's this circular pattern, but as long as you're focusing on guiding people through the funnel towards that purchase every time and eventually becoming a champion, then you're gonna have a much more effective strategy around your marketing and sales. Yeah, and, uh, and also just remember that you are already doing this, whether you like it or not. The sales funnel is really, uh, like just looking at it and acknowledging that it's there is really a way for you just to organize it and make a uh, proactive effort at, um, at you know, kind of influencing how the sales funnel works for your business and how it's unique to your business. And uh, so with that said, I think we can move on to our interview. On today's interview, we talked to Ben Woodworth of KegTag.com and Phil Rudy of Independent Brewing Company in Bel Air, Maryland. Ben produces keg tags for breweries in the area, one of them being Independent Brewing. Today we talked to them about the relationship between vendors and brewers and tips into how they can work better together. Uh, okay, everybody, today we are talking to Ben Woodworth of kegtag.com and Philip Rudy of Independent Brewing Company in Harford County, Maryland. Uh, thank you for being on the show. Uh, let's start off by uh, you telling us about each of your businesses. Um, ben, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about kegtag? Okay, yeah, kegtag.com. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I'm born and raised in Baltimore. I'm a Baltimore guy. Uh, and. Uh, have had a printing company ever since I was uh, uh, right out of college uh, and been doing that my whole life. Uh, really love doing it. And uh, if you would have asked me 10, 15 years ago what I was doing, what I was printing, uh, we did a lot of uh, institutional work, which was local government, uh, hospitals, uh, the big universities in Baltimore. Uh, as the world has gone paperless, uh, we started looking in, in other directions. Uh, I've always had uh, uh, craft brewers as customers. Uh, some of the earliest, earliest craft breweries in, in Maryland, uh, one right down there in Baltimore, uh, uh, Brewer's Art, uh, Heavy Seas, uh, which was originally Clipper City uh, with Hugh Sisson. Been working with those mm -hmm. guys ever since they started. Uh, so uh, since, I, since I was go uh, going to breweries and talk, having conversations anyway, uh, it was a great start to uh, cakedag.com. And uh, that's, that's the company that we launched uh, this last year and uh, reaching breweries all around the United States now. And what you know? What exactly does kegtag.com do? I mean, I know it's probably pretty obvious, but uh, just for our listeners who may not have heard of you. 
It's pretty simple. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's everything that goes on a keg of beer. So it's the uh, yeah. the belly band, the identification band that goes around the middle. Uh, it's obviously the keg tag. They call them t- keg collars too that go on the top. Uh, and then in addition to that, uh, when the beer is distributed, the tap handle identifications too. Uh, that's what cool. we do at kegtag.com and, and, and other things too, but essentially that's the cool thing. All right, and uh, Philip, uh, tell us a little bit about Independent Brewing Company and how you got started. Yeah, Independent Brewing was uh, founded October 30th of 2015. We're still young, we nine months in operation. Um, you know, it, it's founded under a premise that Bel Air is an awesome town and just needed something to make it a little bit better. And uh, we kind of identified an area of town where the uh, Part of the Rails to Trails program, the Mom Pa Trail, comes right through the town of Bel Air. So we're situated right on that trail. And, uh, you know, it's, it was an area of town that needed to be kind of regentrified. So it was a perfect opportunity to take an old building that was vacant and turn it into, you know, a really neat piece of the community. Um, you know, my goal was to build it almost like I, we call it a community center because we, we have so many connections to the community. but. In reality, man, I just love to make beer and experiment and have fun. Um, you know, we're mm-hmm. gluten-free on our products, and we have a lot of different experimental stuff on tap all the time. We try to add one beer a week. Uh, we have 22 rotating taps constantly changing. Um, we have a barrel program that we you know, just started getting into. We're one of the first in the state to get the Sagamore rye barrels when, when they were emptied. So, you know... My main thing is I just love to make beer and make people happy, and beer is like all things about life, you know, and it all comes together here at the brewery. That's awesome. I wanted to ask, uh, since, you know, Bel Air is now my hometown, um, it's a really cool spot, and there's, you know, uh, only a few places that a lot of people frequent because it's not like a huge city. Um, Was the selection of the location something that you just had in mind immediately or was it something you really were mulling over for a long time no i mean we've looked at a couple of different spots i think with you know a little bit more about my history uh, i spent a lot of time traveling for my previous career so i spent a lot of time in areas where they build boats because that was the career i was in uh, portland seattle um san francisco san diego miami fort lauderdale all these really cool beer towns so you know, I just spent a lot, like the last seven years of my life, databasing things that were cool, things that looked great, things that were comfortable and worked, and um, the dynamics from, you know, how to do a flight sheet and, you know, how to sell growlers, you know, all this stuff. I just kind of started databasing, and, you know, my goal when I opened this place was just, and I, I said this in a presentation to the town, was, you know, you guys are so lucky because this is a compilation of the best places I've been in the world. Um, you know, brought right here, assembled together in, in the quiet little town of Bel Air. So, um, you know, I didn't really, I'm on the board of directors of the Mampa Trail, Heritage Trail um, Foundation. So, you know, I do have a heavy connection to the trail and all things about it. You know, we sponsor a bike team. Actually, we sponsor three bike teams here. We do a running night, you know, where runners come and they get a free, uh, they get a beer for a penny. Um, Whoa. So, like, start running. So, you know, we do a lot of things that are um, a healthy lifestyle, and, you know, that's, that's kind of why we really wanted to be near the trail. 
And quite frankly, you can't see it, but Ben and I are staring at it. Our original location was across the street, which is a building that's pretty much falling down um, because the building that we're in today was actually occupied when we first started looking at real estate. We looked at a couple of places like old car dealership over on Bel Air Road and you know, a couple other places, Industrial Park, which is common on the East Coast to you know, put a brewery in an industrial park. And uh, that comes from the fact that the zoning is usually already mixed use, so it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, so we did have our challenges of being in this location, but I thought it was important to be you know, in the town because we're right at the edge on the north side of town. I thought that was important um, because you know, we, I want to see the town grow and we're already seeing that economic infill. We, we had a bicycle shop open uh, a few months ago right down the street and um, we have a new clothing store that used to be a mobile um, clothing truck, Urban Pearl, now has a brick and mortar right up the street. So we're starting to see the infill of economic activity. And I, you know, I think that based on our clientele and you know, what we do here, that we're successful in our you know, business model and location decision. And actually, Ben, so to, to jump right into what Ben does, he just delivered some uh, passes for the farm fair. We're doing a bike corral to encourage people to ride their bikes to the farm fair. And um, so it's the bike corral is sponsored by the Mom and Pa Heritage Foundation. So, you know, in an effort to encourage uh, people to ride their bikes, Ben threw this together in a few minutes this morning Hold for, up, for me, which is uh, basically a card for a beer for a dollar, anybody that rides their bike. So, you know, we, we're trying to encourage people to get out, use alternative methods of transportation, um, you know, get healthy, drink a beer. You know, we do uh -huh. yoga on Sundays at 10 a.m., uh, pretty much sold out crew every Sunday. So it's kind of kind of interesting where we're kind of taking the alcohol back to where it was in the 1700s is really the hub of the community. That's great. Yeah, I'm a runner myself, and so I'm definitely, Bel Air's a little bit out of my distance range, but I can always drive up there and then run and then get a beer, so I think that'll be great. I'll, I'll definitely have to do that. That could be a plan. <laughs> and yeah. we do get a lot of that. We do get a lot of people that will come here with that mo motivation. They'll park in our parking lot, they'll run the trail. Literally, the entrance to the trail um, on the south side is right at our back door. And again, you can't see it, but right across the street, there's the future connection. So for all intents and purposes, if this building wasn't here, the trail would go right in my back door and out the front. So we're, <laughs> we're about as close to being on the trail as you can be. So you can tell yeah. where he's going with that. Eventually, <laughs> right just that. Right. Stop. Right. right. We'll have a dotted line coming through the back door. Will there be a beer toll booth? Or? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> So uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you guys on was because um, just to kind of go over that vendor and um, brewery relationship that you guys have and just some experiences that you've had with working together and that you've seen in the industry. Um, and so what are some, I guess, Ben, what are some important things that vendors should consider when working with a brewery and that you've seen that's really helped you out? Well, I mean, I, I've dealt with brewers for a long time and I've got to tell you, um, they're they're real people, and uh, and the, which means they come in all shapes and sizes and in all types of personalities. Uh, but at their very heart, they're entrepreneurs. Uh, they've already had the conversation with their wife that, honey, 
I'm going to do this instead. Uh, it isn't just a, uh, a life change. I'm actually, I'm, this is what we're going to do. So uh, once she's on board, there they go. Uh, and entrepreneurs uh, are focused on one thing, and that's getting, getting the doors open at the very beginning. Uh, and they have a lot of hurdles to cross. Um, in dealing with a vendor like me, uh, because I'm an entrepreneur myself and I'm a manufacturer myself, I, I absolutely love dealing with brewers. And by brewers, I mean uh, in an established brewery, that would be the guys that you find going through the back door of the brewery. Uh, those are the guys that are working around, the uh, rolling kegs out, uh, getting beer prepared, uh, emptying out tanks, and so on. Uh, and their day is, is planned around that day of production and what their schedule is. Uh, what I try to find out when I have a conversation with those guys is what is their, what is their front burner issue? In other words, what are they taking care of right now? Uh, that could be an answer that a printer like me could take care of. It could be something totally different. But I'm hoping if I can answer that question, I can gain their trust into talking about other things, having other conversations without wasting their time. Uh, one thing a brewer does not have is extra time to fill. So uh, if a vendor can give them good information, uh, they both can uh, build up a partnership. Uh, mm -hmm. In Phil's case, the first time I ever came to his brewery, uh, it was still under construction. Uh, long story about how I found out that he was even here. I live right down the street. I didn't know there was going to be a brewery here. Uh, a guy at Panera Bread said, you know, I know this guy is opening a brewery right on Main Street. I'm like, are you kidding me? I didn't know about that. So I rode my motorcycle straight over there, walked in, and guys were working on the actual uh, tasting room, the bar, and handed him some cards, handed him some pads, and, uh, and said, tell him to give me a call. Uh, I hadn't met Phil yet. Uh, the first time I met Phil, it was, uh, uh, it was really cool because he is an entrepreneurial brewer, and he knows what he's doing. Uh, all he has is the frustrations of opening up a new place, uh, of all the frustrations of of the zoning and the stickers on the door that are correct and so on. So uh, he was really good at making beer. He was brand new at having people walk, the public walk in the, in the door. So the fact from a vendor standpoint, uh, from a printer standpoint, that I could solve his problems quickly that way, uh, it, it made me have fun working with Phil. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, he does pay me, so that's even better. But, <laughs> but you know, so... So that, that's why I get jazzed working with craft breweries, uh, is that they get it. They're manufacturers just like I am. They realize you have to get it right the first time. And uh, that's why I have a lot of fun working with craft brewers. So. That's great. Um, so would you do you also, when someone comes to you and it's not something you necessarily do as a vendor, um, do you form relationships with other vendors so that you know kind of like if you can answer a question, say, oh, well, I know this guy over here who does that kind of thing. I can point you in that direction. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, because I'm a Baltimore guy, I've been, you know, mm -hmm. Baltimore, the, the, the nickname is Smaltimore. And uh, yeah. that's absolutely true. Everybody pretty much knows everybody. So uh, and that happens in a lot of towns, just like, you know, Phil was mentioning these other towns across the country. Uh, manufacturers, we stick together. Uh, we're not just salesmen on the street. We actually have ownership of the business. Uh, mm -hmm. So. If we can't do something, but we know somebody that can, we'd more than happy to, to, to turn that switch on. Uh, yeah. Because I'd much rather add people to my my book of knowledge than I would add people just to my book of sales. Uh, right. Because we live here, right? You know, we live in this community. Yeah. 
Phil, from your side, what um, what was your perspective on that um, when Ben's coming in and saying, hey, I can solve some of your problems? Well, you know, one of the first things I'd like to say as a brewer, you know, I think we're unique business people because I can tell you dealing with people on a daily basis, not many people are passionate about what, what they do every day. Like I own a business that I care about everything involved here. I mean, the artwork on the walls, customer's perception. Um, so that's the biggest difficulty with vendors is that most of them aren't passionate. They're, they're just a printer and they print and it's boring and it's routine. Um, so that's where a guy like Ben, who's passionate about craft beer and you know, he brings his growler in here when he comes in to make a delivery and fills it up and he brings me stuff occasionally from other places that, you know, Hey, I made a delivery down there and grab this growler or beer I thought you'd like. So, you know, that's the kind of relationship that it's, it's passion. We're both passionate about what we do. Um, and, that, and that's a big thing. And as Ben pointed out, you know, I'm the brewer and I also run the business and the tap room and payroll and everything. So I have a million things going on. I'm sure everybody in the world can say the same thing. What I need from a supplier is someone that can do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it. And someone like Ben, who, like, like this morning, I think if you track the email, I sent this to him at 945, knowing he was coming out here today. And, um, you know, his wife. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> especially, especially before having a podcast and all. No. <laughs> his wife threw it together quickly and sent over the, um, uh, whatever you call it, for me to approve. Yeah, the proofs. Yeah. And, you know, here it is. He delivered it, you know, three hours later, two hours later. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, that's relationship-driven where I know that, you know, when I think about something, I can bounce it off of him and, and he can tell me, yeah, I can do that or no, it can't be done. Um, but the most important thing, and I, I, I hope everyone in business feels this way, is that I need people that are specialists, that know what they're doing, that that can focus on what they're doing, can read my mind and know that, you know, when I say I need a keg collar, you know, they can already start to envision what it will look like with my branding on it. And so, you know, someone like Ben and their business is is more about the branding than it is the printing. You know, they help me develop my keg wraps. They help me develop my keg collars. Uh, all my coasters come from them. Um, all my postcards that we hand out at festivals. It, it, because I know that, you know, a couple phone calls, hour or two later, it's done and we're moving on. And, um, you know, and they know me as a person, personally. So, you know, I trust him to make decisions based on when he can't get in touch with me instead of waiting two, three days till I get back to him because mm -hmm. something came up. You know, he's still keeping the ball moving. And that's just important because, you know, when you're making beer and there's a problem, that's the number one priority all the time is the product. So, but, uh, you know, I would say keywords in that would be, you know, you've got to be a specialist. You've got to be passionate about what you do. Um, as we get a Facebook flash from Union Craft Brewing up here on the uh, Oh, yeah, the there screen. we go. Um, you know, I got to go to the anniversary party. So, yeah. you know, Ben, Ben answered a lot of my problems in the beginning with solutions, you know, identifying what I needed, what I was going to need. You know, he made me realize there were things I needed I hadn't even thought about. So, um, you know, we came out of the gates running and things like, 
you know, vendors like this, you know, help you keep running and not stopping and hurdle after hurdle. Yeah, it sounds like a, a true definition of a partnership where you as a business owner need as many real partners as you can get uh, to help you run things when you're not thinking about them. Yeah, and, you, and they, they have to be reliable. I mean, when, when there's something that, that doesn't work or doesn't fit or is wrong and needs to be fixed, it, it needs to be fixed immediately and taken care of. And that's I, my biggest frustration. I just had this conversation an hour ago in the car is in this business, my biggest frustration is people. You know, people, people say <laughs> that's not going to change people <laughs> something or oh, I can do that and promise you the world. And, you know, it's not done. It's not as promised. It's broken. It looks like crap, you know. So, you know, when you find a vendor and this is I'm very loyal when I find a vendor that I work with that, you know, we we fit as a partnership. And I don't even think when it's time to shop, it, I just place an order. Well, I think, you know, I don't know how many people are going to see the podcast. They're, uh, they're brand new breweries, they're, they're craft breweries, or they're established. And now they're, they're, they're you know, getting into finding out more information on podcasts. But, uh, you know, we can all buy stuff online. And, uh, I mean, that's why I have a website. Uh, we're online. But uh, when, people, when people place an order online with us, uh, we, I just did these keg tags this week. This is for Backroom Brewery. I'll do a shout-out for them. They're in uh, Sunflower Cottage Herb Farm. They actually have a brewery in their back room. So it's Backroom Brewery. They're in Middleton, Virginia. They found us online. And, uh, I, I, you know, when I talked to them, I said, you know, she, they said, well, we've been waiting for three weeks before to get a keg tag. And, uh, and Patty at our office who talked to them said, you shouldn't have to work, wait three weeks. You're, you're ordering stuff online. It should happen in two days. So we got it done. We sent it down to them two days. And they said, what is the rush charge? And they said, no, this is the way business should be done. I mean, things happen these days. I mean, <laughs> on, we got the Internet. It's okay. But uh, the fact <laughs> that we can add a personal touch to that, I mean, anybody that builds a website and expects people to, to show up, uh, good luck. I mean, it, it still is personal contact and personal uh, guarantees that make it happen. So, uh, And that's what I enjoy about uh, craft brewery business, too. When you talk to these people online, when you're talking to people that make a difference, uh, uh, their word is their bond. And if, if something's messed up, they're going to call you, and they're going to say, hey, these are wrong. And we may have to make it right as soon yeah. as possible. So it's, it's a great relationship in that way. That's good advice, yeah. Um, Phil, uh, uh, yeah, uh, I'm just curious, how many vendors does a, do you usually work with just in your brewery as a whole? Oh, my. Just about. You don't have to say exactly. I'm just. I mean, realistically, probably 30. Yeah. I mean, you know, so you got to imagine we're buying brewing grains, hops, glassware, you know, mops, cleaning yeah. supplies. So I deal with as many and as few as possible. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't like all in one shopping where someone can, you know, where my guy that's providing hops can also send me toilet paper. That's, you know, he's not specializing in one or the other. And I hope it's not the one, you know, the latter that I don't really care about. We're not going to add hops to the website. We just <laughs> business. But, uh, you know, it, it's important that, as I said before, that, you know, people are specialists in what they do. And, you know, if I have 30 vendors, I could probably whittle, whittle that down to 20 but then I would be dealing with, you know, Walmarts and Kmarts and, 
seers and not small business people that, you know, can deliver when things need to be delivered. I mean, that's Ben, you know, delivers on a motorcycle, which I kind of find cool. Our first partner's <laughs> motorcycle spot. So uh, I took it. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, I'll tell you, the vendor relations, the vendor um, business relationship is very important. And, you know, I, I have a dozen that I love and that I just make a phone call and things get done. And, you know, I've got another dozen that, you know, I have to deal with because, you know, <laughs> they're the best at what they do or the only one that has the product. And unfortunately, you know, that's what you have to do. But yeah, when it I mean, comes to selecting partners, uh, I would like to add one thing about um, Ben and, and some other key vendors that I deal with is um, they take the initiative to join the professional organizations that represent the respective in industries. And in my case, it's the Brewers Association of Maryland and the National Brewers Association, which Ben is actively involved in. And you know, Yeah, I'm standing in line at the uh, conference up in Philadelphia, and uh, there's Phil. He's like, he's like walking through the crowd. You can't miss <laughs> Phil walking through the crowd. Yeah. So there he was. Uh, that was a, that was a great expo up there in Philly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we're happy to be members of the Brewers Association again. It's it's a it's it's a great group. There's a lot of energy uh, in my own industry, uh, printing industry, as we've seen that shrink in size. Uh, it's it's really it's really cool to go to the the expos and and up in Philly and even with the Brewers Association of Maryland see see the energy of uh, of people that are they're looking for answers uh, they want to get things done right uh, so it yeah it's it's great energy in the Brewers Association yeah and I, I think that's an important component to the that's vendors cool. that they're willing to you know come in address this as a group talk about what they specialize in. And, you know, and then it, it builds that camaraderie, that, that relationship right at the, be the beginning. Um, you know, it's, it's frustrating when stuff goes wrong, but it's, it, when, you, when it goes perfectly, it feels right. It just feels natural. So, you know, it's, there's a lot to be said for, you know, good relationships and partnerships in, in any business. Uh, one thing that I, I find unique, and I've worked in a couple other industries in my my lifetime um, about the beer industry is is we're a very s small community, almost like Smaltimore, where mm -hmm. you know we talk. Um, you know we are competitors, uh, but we are also friends and comrades, and uh, we do talk and we share. And when someone has a good experience, they make sure that you know everyone that they touch in the industry knows about it. Um, if they have a bad experience, you know, vice versa. You know, it, it goes pretty fast. So. It is an industry where if you're not reputable as a vendor, you will burn fast because it's it's a tight organization. We get together twice a year as a group and you know it's it's pretty uh now Phil, I thought you were gonna work that story into what's going on with the sandwich signs out on the sidewalk. I thought you were going <laughs> No. No we're not, we're not gonna go that direction. <laughs> that's yeah that's local government. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's good it's it's good that you know when you have a good partner and you know it's great to do stuff like this because i feel totally comfortable you know in our relationship you know having a beer yeah. with this guy so when um yeah i guess when you're working with 30 vendors you know or around that then it's in you know it's important to have those relationships and to have things 
you know, try to go smoothly as much as possible. And I guess it's also important as a vendor too to realize that you are working with that many other people. And so, and you know, time, you know, you only have so much time on your hands and so much that you can do. So um, taking that into consideration for vendors is probably good. Working with Ben, that you're his only customer because he treats you like, you know, <laughs> time in the world and focus. And I'm sure they, he's got a million things going on, but he always treats you like, you know, you're, you're the best customer and you're the only customer. Thank you. Thank so. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious, uh, with 30 vendors, um, how do you, is there a way that you manage and organize a lot of that? I mean, I, I just started thinking of like a huge spreadsheet or something, but is it, is there a better way of that? that you um, actually, it's a huge spreadsheet. <laughs> so, so what we've done is, uh, you know, we've identified key suppliers that, you know, we, we work on a regular basis and I have a spreadsheet and then I have a employee assignments to monitor those products. So, you know, I'm not necessarily managing the ordering of toilet paper and, um, you know, soap and uh, like Ben is one of the few things because I, as a brewer, I also need, need to be involved in like some of the design factors. But, you know, the vendors that are just selling us the, the widget off the shelf, um, my staff orders the craft sodas, you know, when the, when the guy from I'll plug Charm City Beverage because they're awesome. They sell a lot of craft products. Um, definitely a great business to deal with, just like Ben or a good partner. My staff will, you know, call them up and say, hey, you know, we need this. And they'll always say, hey, we got some new products. That's why uh, Appalachian Brewing, we just found out last week that um, they picked up that product. So that's the kind of thing that, you know, is good. You know, they, they're telling us that, hey, we got this coming in or this is new. Check it out. Um, you know, we saw a lot of natural stuff, matcha, kombucha. Uh, we just are adding this yogurt drink that just came out with live enzymes. I mean, you know, I, don't, I always say I just strive to be the best, but it's working with suppliers that know you and know what you do. If this guy didn't know that we were all natural, you know, as, as much as we can be, he wouldn't know to offer a yogurt, a yogurt drink. So, you know, these are the things that, that suppliers need to realize. And the ones that don't know it, I mean, they're home right now because it's Friday and 2.30, they're done. I mean, that's, <laughs> they know the ones that are bad. They know that they could be better. They just, mm -hmm. you know, some businesses you're in, that it's, you're an order taker, and, and that's okay. But it's not. It's not. And as businesses, we need to know that you care about us, that, you know, you come in as Ben and probably – 15 to 20 of my suppliers do come in outside of work. I try to deal with local when I can, um, you know, that are brick and mortar because I want Main Street to be filled with shops, not with vacancies or real estate signs or barber shops all over the place. You know, I want to see brick and mortar like Ben, you know, uh, keg tag or, you know, businesses mm -hmm. like that. So there's I'm just I'm just relieved that I'm not on the same spreadsheet as toilet paper. I'm that's. <laughs> people look at printing as a necessary evil in the process and i think where we kind of turn the switch on that is not that we we come in into their into their uh, brewery with pom-poms is we just really solve problems uh if 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 their problem is that it's taken three weeks to get something done and we can do it in two three days uh then yay us uh if it's something where they've, they've never considered a uh, color printing on a keg tag and putting their brand and logo identity on it, uh, 
because it, what they realize is, you know, the guy that really pushes their beer at, at, a, at, a, at a local pub uh, is the bartender. And that's the mm -hmm. same bartender that goes down below in the, in the cooler in the basement and hooks that tap up. Uh, so everything's got to be labeled correctly and, and, and done with pride. And when those things are mm -hmm. done with pride, that's the same guy that's going to switch the person from one craft beer that they've been drinking to trying this other one and then uh, making them into a believer. So something as, as simple as brand identification, uh, as, as putting a professional uh, look and identity, even on something as simple as a keg, uh, where uh, you know, other vendors may treat it like toilet paper, it, it, it's really important to us because it's important to the, the craft beer guy. Um, mm. that it. So, uh, you know, so, I mean, that's where we try to make a difference and, you know, it's, it's, it's paying off to us as vendors. Yeah. So when are you going to be making branded toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first bowl is going to be independent brewing. <laughs> the restroom at a craft brewery is used for something else more than anything else. <laughs> well, you know, I, I will add to what Ben just um, said, that one of the, the features of working with someone like what they do is, Everything is in-house, their design, um, most of the printing, so yeah. that you're dealing with the person. And I can tell you, I have suppliers where you're dealing with a person with a catalog that gets off the phone with you and makes 10 more phone calls of a designer that's going to yeah. draw it and someone that's going to print it and someone that's going to ship it and someone that's going to glue it together. And, you know, that all adds time, labor, burden. You know, frustration for me, the, the order, orderer, ordery, orderer, and uh, so they are a full in-house shop, and that's, I think there's a lot to be said for that in a, in a world we live where people are outsourcing, and, you know, it's, yeah. mm -hmm. it, it definitely helps build the relationship and get the product right the first time and on time. And I keep going back to on time, because on time is important, because <laughs> when, when I... When I click send on an email, I check something off my list and move on. If a week later, I got to go back to find that email because I didn't hear back, mm. that just got deleted and vendor just got lost their opportunity <laughs> because, you know, yeah. it's about moving on no matter what you're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we deal a lot with the restaurant industry and, uh, um, there's no planning that goes on in that industry at all. Everything they, they look at is like, oh, my God, we're out of menus. Or, oh, my God, the chef just changed everything on the left column, and we need that done. So that's something that we're doing in, in the Baltimore metro region all the time. Uh, Phil mentioned that I, I ride a motorcycle. Uh, my deliveries go down to the Capitol Beltway. They go down to northern Virginia, the eastern shore. And it, it, I'm packing menus in one saddlebag. Uh, keg collars and tags and the others, and I'm blowing down to Salisbury to Eva uh, to, you know, to, to set them up and at the same time do sales calls. And there are sales calls at craft breweries on the way back. <laughs> but So, you know, all this stuff happens in an instant, and it is true. The perception is already there. When Phil clicks send on an email, it's done. He wants it, he wants it off his list. So the quicker that vendors can respond to that, uh, you know, it's... Going back in the day, 25 years ago, Domino's set the standard for pizza. Half hour, it's free. And like it or not, everybody else had to respond to that because that's the perception. The perception became the reality. So uh, the whole turnaround time and cycle time of all these products have, have, have come that fast. Uh, you know, when Amazon starts to, uh, flying uh, independent brewery craft beer uh, into your, <laughs> onto your deck, you know, 
then uh, check that off your list. Yeah, well, I can tell you, Amazon <laughs> apparently got hacked yesterday, and my credit card got $8,000 worth of charges. Oh, oh no. no. I've had that that happen. Too. That so I don't know if I'm ready for the drone delivery. <laughs> you know, electronics and uh, uh, everything getting to be a little frustrating. <laughs> it's supposed to make everything better, I know, but it doesn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, I was going to say, well, it doesn't help growing. Yeah. yeah. Um, ben, you did mention um, uh, expos and conferences, and I imagine you set up at a lot of trade shows and stuff like that. No, we haven't yet. I mean, uh, I've uh, gone to trade shows. I walk around, uh, uh, and, I, and my eyes and ears are wide open uh, listening, to, to listening to brewers and just walking around with them. Uh, you know, it, our market is our, our market in the craft beer business is still brand new. Uh, we just started adding uh, keg caps and things like that. Uh, the margins are tight. You know, if, if, to go to the craft brew uh, expo and pay eight thousand dollars for a table, uh, yeah. you know, I'd much rather walk around and drink really good beer all day, <laughs> have good conversations. Uh, so that's something that we're definitely looking at. Uh, Right now, I just found out this week that my wife uh, planned a trip to Nashville at the same weekend as the Denver uh, Beer Expo, Great American Beer Festival. Great American Beer Festival. So, uh, I love you, honey, but uh, <laughs> here, uh, we're keeping that weekend open. So, but we try to go to as many craft beer festivals as possible and just talk directly to the guys that are brewing, uh, mm. because uh, if they're signed with ad agencies and so on, ad agencies are great. Uh, but I'd rather deal directly with the owners because uh, they can cut the, the conversation down and focus more in on what they need. Uh, mm -hmm. So we, you know, even even uh, uh, one of the larger breweries that we work with, uh, Heavy Seas, uh, uh, I don't talk directly to Hugh Sisson all the time. We know each other. We're good friends. But uh, the guys that I talk to right there are the guys that are in production that are ordering. They say, uh, you know, loose cannon just flies. It's the biggest selling beer in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, we'll do between 10, 15, 20, 25,000 keg tags. We'll turn that around in a few days. But can you imagine 25,000 kegs of beer going out the door? It's just really <laughs> quite a success yeah. for, that, for that beer. Uh, but it's something that we can do. It's something that we're proud about. Uh, uh, we love when our customers sing testimonials about us. So that's what we, that's what we try to continue doing. Uh, mm. Craft beer festivals are tons of fun. But we're just trying to figure out if it works out in our budget right now. So. <laughs> right. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about um, beer, I guess. Uh, Phil, uh, what are some trends that you're seeing in the beer industry or kind of what would you like to see more of in, in craft beer? In the beer industry itself? Uh, I mean, the, I think that there's a lot of creativity out there. I think that's the thing that's really driving the industry right now. Um, you know, when I was building this place or planning and said, told people I was going to have 22 taps, as a brewery, people looked at me like I was crazy, and <laughs> I, I thought, was it going to be enough? So, you know, I think creativity is what um, we're getting back to, where people experiment and have fun, and, um, you know, it's it's neat to be able to change beer regularly. Uh, the other thing is, you know, health considerations. There's been a lot of publicity about, you know, health benefits of beer. Uh, the macros are, you know, going into more cost savings using high fructose corn syrup, um, using alternative, you know, things that aren't necessarily in the best interest of the consumer. Uh, whereas, you know, someone like me, 
Uh, my brewer, our director of operations, is also is a farmer growing barley and starting a malting operation. So, you know, we're looking to drive more towards local sourcing of uh, ingredients when possible. Now, we have about five or six growers out there growing hops uh, for the production. I just got an email today, some that are ready for harvest. So I think there, you're seeing trends of, you know, the local, a lot more maltsters uh, local, uh, growing uh, popping up. There's a few in Pennsylvania, New York, um, on the East Coast, Riverbend, down in Virginia. So, you know, we, we're starting to see a push for agriculture, local agriculture. Uh, one of my best-selling T-shirts on the back says, no farms, no beer. And it's something, you know, we believe in. But, you know, the macros, you, you with the macro producers, you don't feel that connection. But, you know, I can tell you on a Friday, we, we have a good clientele of farmers that come in here that that have questions about, you know, hey, wh what can we do, you know, to improve, you know, the barley? What can we do, you know, how much rye are you going to need, you know, in the next 8 to 10 months? So it's neat to have that connection to directly to agriculture. Um, yeah. I try to do my part with, you know, helping uh, the, the farmers and the industry know what we're looking for. I think... You know, the, the two trends that we're seeing is is thinking outside the box on beer creativity um, and, of course, going to local, you know, locally sourced grains, hops, yeast now. I mean, they're starting to culture yeast, native yeast. Um, so uh, that's where I would say that it's driving. Um, you know, we keep going up and down on the beer styles, going from, you know, high alcohol, super hoppy IPAs. Now we're down to saisons and and wild beers and funky beers and sessions so you know the fact that it's, it's still going consumers drive what we do so you know, i i wish i could think that i come in here every day and make beer that i want to drink only um i try to do that but consumers really drive what we do and um, you know, I talk to all my consumers, ask them what they like, what they don't like, you know, what would they like to see, what can we plan in the future, and um, you know, we just got a bunch of wooden barrels, that's a growing segment, sour. Tell, tell them about the latest wooden barrel you got going. The, the Solera? Or that, I, no, that I just did the, the, did the labels for. Oh, well, labels so yeah, week. Ben just did some labels for our first bottle release uh, on Saturday, August 6th, part of Bel Air Beer Week. We're releasing our first um, bottle. Seven, it's a Belgian 750 milliliter. Um, it's Tatanka. Tatanka Porter. So, so Indian word for buffalo, Tatanka. So this is a mm -hmm. partnership with a local uh, liquor store, Ronnie's um, Beverage Warehouse, not far from here. Very craft beer focused, really into it. Shane McCarthy's their beer guy. He's a rock star in the beer industry locally. Um, so basically... They did a Buffalo Trace barrel of whiskey where they bought the whole barrel full and mm -hmm. then had it bottled with their labels put on it. And then they brought me the barrel when it was empty, and we filled it with our porter. And, um, and then, you know, we were just like, what are we going to do with this? And I'm like, well, let's, let's get it out there for Bel Air Beer Week. And so we called Ben. Two days later, we had labels ready. And uh, so we're going to do a limited release. It'll be our first release here on August 6th. Uh, so it'll be interesting. I bought a bottling machine just to do this. So uh, it'll be interesting to see all the yeah. the next step of things that we have not done before. And, uh, 
but it, it you know, it's fine. Now you've given out the date. So, well, the date. Can I come a day early and get mine? Uh, all right. So yeah, the uh, that kind of is something that's driving the industry: limited bottle releases, um, things that are you know you can't mass produce a barrel aged beer. It just you can try to do it. Um, you know, when you get to a hundred barrels of the same beer, they end up blending it into a tank and taking the best. This is one shot deal. You know, we have one barrel, and uh, you know, I can tell you, I tasted it yesterday. It'd be worth the wait. Yeah, I have to come up and check it out, <laughs> Josh. You're gonna have to meet me there. <laughs> um, so yeah, one last question, I guess. Um, on Ben, on your side, have you seen um, any trends in kind of your side of the industry as far as I don't know anything that as far as the keg tags or other vendors or even beer uh, that you've seen? Well, I yeah, I mean. We listen to brewers all the time. So as just just how Phil said, he talks to his customers, and all of a sudden, you know, he's brewing different beers that are that are driving that uh, driving the response to those questions. Uh, my industry has to change just as quickly too. So uh, we have brewers that are, are getting to a point now where they they are getting into distribution rather than self distributing. Uh, they're signing up with a dis, uh, distribute distributor, uh, and right away that distributor wants more marketing uh, materials to go along with that. So uh, we found ourselves uh, now we're producing metal signs. So we're producing metal signs for uh, Key Brewing uh, down in Dundalk. We've done uh, metal signs for uh, Evo down. In Eastern Shore, uh, and uh, we hope to do them for Phil when he decides. When he decides, is that right side up? Yeah, that's right side up. <laughs> that's great. But yeah, so um, so that that's one thing. Uh, the other thing is, and I don't know if, if if you've seen your business grow and now level off or whatever, but a, a lot of craft breweries have gotten into crowlers. So mm. you know, uh, people brought in the growlers. Now they're bringing. Now they want to produce thirty-two ounce crowlers. So that that requires labeling and so on. So we're, ha we're having a lot of conversations with craft breweries about different ways to apply them, uh, different substrates to use, uh, and how quickly they need them. Uh, so uh, from my from my industry my industry talking to uh, vendors, that's that's been growing right now as crowler mm. labeling. So yeah. yeah. Just an interesting thing that I was thinking when Ben was speaking is, uh, you know, the other side of what they do that's important to what we do is that if you don't know beer and you don't know beer marketing and you don't know craft beer, like going into a liquor store and looking at the shelves and seeing what's out there, you're not going to be able to design products like Ben does. It, it comes from not just the experience in, in the industry that you work in, but with the focus of the markets that you're going after and the fact that, you know, he knows this industry. He goes to trade shows, sees the T-shirts, sees the marketing out there. Um, and, you know, they're the kind of things that, that he brings to the table to a guy like me who, you know, may not get to some of these bigger events or, you know, get around as much as he does, but, you know, he knows what colors pop on a shelf, you know, what designs work, what requirements the government may require as far as Surgeon General warnings or, you know, the, the, the rules of labeling. So, you know, it's, it's all the fine print. Like I can tell yeah. you they get overlooked. You know, I, I've heard stories of guys ordered, you know, a pallet full of growlers and got them and they didn't have the government warning on the back because the state that the business was operating in it you know, it wasn't a requirement on a growler 
Um, so that's something you wouldn't even think of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And even on the crowlers. I mean, that's still a gray area on perception of what it is because um, it is a growler and it needs to be labeled as a growler. So it's a different type of labeling that's applied here, but it also needs to have that type of, of you know. Yeah, Phil's talking about there's the labeling in Maryland, uh, and this this differs by state, but. You know, there's two labels on here. This is the government warning label, which is pretty common on everything. And then in the state of Maryland, there's there's a second label uh, that basically says that you have to come in with a clean grower. The responsibility of cleaning the grower is the consumers. It's not the vendors. Uh, so if they take the top off the grower, you know, and typically the clean check is stick your nose up to it. And, if you know, if it smells like an old tennis shoe, uh, hand it back to the consumer and say, uh, take this home, clean it, and then we'd love to fill it up for you. But uh, yeah. so that's the labeling requirements in the state of Maryland. Other states vary. Uh, Florida right now is going through a big thing where, uh, I'm sorry, it's North Carolina, where the labeling requirements there is the, the, the cleaning responsibility is the responsible of the, of the guy who's, who's going to pour the beer. So mm. right now you've got a guy that's got eight people waiting for a beer. He gets hand, handed a skunk growler. And now he's got to sanitize that. You know, it's a big hassle. Uh, a lot of North Carolina craft brewers are really up in arms about it. I'm sure legislation will change this next time around. Uh, yeah. I'm sure they're letting their uh, lobbyists have it. For yeah. So actually, the stickers he just showed you on the growler, he printed. Of course, I'm not going to show you something. Somebody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, it was you know, in Maryland. Um, they changed the legislation last year comprehensively that required the cleaning instructions on the growler. So most growlers issued prior to last year didn't have cleaning instructions. So, you know, talking to state um, General Assembly members, you know, the, one of the ways around it would be to print a sticker that had everything that we need. So we went to Ben and he put them all together for us. So if we get a older growler that's not labeled properly by the federal and state guidelines, then we you know, we we apply the stickers here. Well, yeah, and I'm no fan of the uh, federal government or, or the state of Maryland, but um, that label actually it's it's a good label because it releases the liability of someone who walks out with a, with a with a skunk craft beer and then and then coming back and blaming the retailer when it or the or the craft brewery when it had nothing to do with them. You know, right. you come with a growler, you have to be clean. Um, you know, I'm sure you guys know you go to some of the craft breweries around here and they'll say, we'll only fill a growler that came from us. And what essentially what they mean by that is that they already have the correct labeling pre-printed on the growler. Uh, but it's not true that they can't that they can't fill someone else's growler. It's just that it has to have the correct labeling. So that's a misunderstanding right now. It just takes better education of the people that are out there uh, filling mm -hmm. beer. Another thing I've run into is, State of Maryland, you can you can fill 128 ounces, which would be a gallon. Uh, most growlers are 64 ounces. Uh, State of Maryland, it's legal to fill a gallon growler for people that want to go home and have share eight beers instead of five. So, mm. uh, so I mean, you know, but it's just better education. I'm sure it'll come along. And and those cool. well, legislations, like everything, vary state to state. So, you know, if you're a guy doing business in all these states. You know, you need to know the individual state laws. The last thing, you know, we as brewers want is somebody say, yeah, no problem. And then we got a pallet um, of growlers that we can't sell, you know, in our limited space <laughs> that we have here. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that. Well, I think 
I'm looking at my uh, at my battery level. I'm at ten percent. <laughs> that's it's like, that's fun. <laughs> I feel like it's like, been a good episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you guys forever, um, you know, but uh, we'll maybe have to have you back on at some point down the down the road and see what you're uh, doing then. Um, but it's been really great talking to you, and I think this has been r really valuable advice um, and, you know, listening to you and listening to what you have to say and your experiences in the industry. And uh, I can't wait to go up and uh, check you guys out and ha have a beer up there. So um, that's, that's, yeah, <laughs> and again... Yeah, well, <laughs> and again, thank you for being on. You know, I think it's a great service you guys are doing. I, craft beer uh, brewers, they're very busy people. Uh, they're trying to do it all. Mm. Uh, everybody's trying to grow. And, uh, you know, I, I would just, you know, build everybody up saying you're doing a great job. Uh, there isn't a craft brewery that I've been in that they don't make excellent beer. Uh, mm. and, they're, and, they're, and they're getting better all the time. You know, thank, thank goodness for, the, the, for the, you know, your podcast and other information that's out there on the web. But, uh, you know, go out and tell people what you like when you find a craft brewery and uh, keep on hitting those buttons because uh, they're making great beer in Maryland and all around this region. Yeah. Well, great. I really appreciate that. And I think everybody that we've uh, talked to also has just been, it's been really great talking to them. There's a lot of excellent people in this industry and um, everyone has like their own little unique experience with it too. So, so th thanks again. Thank you for being on. Uh, yeah. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Visit us at craftbeermarketinginstitute.com and take a look at our blog. Subscribe for free and get access to additional materials. Also send any comments or suggestions to info at craftbeermarketinginstitute.com and let us know what you would like to hear us cover. We have a lot of great interviews and discussions coming up in our next episodes, so stay tuned. The Craft Beer Marketing Institute is a podcast of Black Label, a digital consultancy working with businesses to help them grow and solve problems online. If you'd like to learn more, visit us at blacklabelagency.com and follow us at Use Black Label on Twitter.